that we have in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we look at this passage, we're going to talk about a few things, okay? The first thing we're going to talk about is context and codes, okay? The second thing is we're going to talk about children and parents, all right? So to properly understand this passage, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, we have to view it in its context, like how it fits into the whole into, into what's around it, okay? And there's a scriptural context, like a biblical context, and also a historical context that we're going to talk about, okay? So to understand this, the biblical scriptural context, we need to see what's around these verses in Ephesians chapter 6. These verses come after what Sam and Wendy preached on last week, which was instructions to husbands and wives about marriage. That passage comes in the context of Ephesians 5.21, which we'll put up on the screen, which says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning this next discussion about husbands and wives last week, children and parents that we'll talk about this week, next week Sam will preach on masters and slaves in that complicated discussion and, and he'll, he'll, he'll break that down, but all of those things are in the context of this verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We could also say that verse 21 is, should be read in the context of verse 18. So let's go back to chapter 5, verse 18, which says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is a nice important principle, but not the main context. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul talks here about being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the reality when you're connected to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, And one result of being filled by the Spirit in verse 18 is that in verse 21, we're going to submit to Christ and submit to others. Okay, So it's sort of like all flows. Now in chapter 6, we also should see that there's a context is that Paul is quoting the Ten Commandments, which are in Exodus. Okay, And he quotes um, the command to honor your parents. So we should also read this in context of the Old Testament. And last week, again, I'll reference Sam and Wendy's excellent sermon where they pointed out that the, whole, the Old Testament is couched in the entire biblical story of creation, that God created us, that we're sinners, that God redeemed us through Christ, and eventually Christ will come back and restore the whole world. So you could say that Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 should be in read in the context of Ephesians 5, 21 which should be read in the context of Ephesians 5.18, which should be read in the context of the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, which should be read in the context of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay, so there's like a whole thing going on. And I think sometimes what happens is we pull these verses out because we're like more interested in parenting than the other things the Bible says. But the Bible, it's not a manual about parenting. It's not, it's not a manual about sexuality, or getting drunk on wine, or parenting, although it has things to say about all those things. But the Bible's really about God and what he's doing. And so I think I know for me, like even <laughs> I was preparing this sermon, I'm like, yeah, what would be interesting to talk about parenting? And God was like, how about what I said in the Bible? Like, you don't need to talk about what's interesting to you, but sometimes I think we think like there's things in the Bible that we're like more interested in because they're about things that interest us. But really, the, the Bible's like a story about God. It's a story about what God is doing. So our parenting is wrapped into that story. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just, like, taken out of that, okay? Um, I think sometimes, I know for me, 
I read the Bible the way I look at my high school yearbook. I get my high school yearbook, I'm like, where am I? Where am I? Oh, I was on the cross-country team. There I am. Oh, wait. Oh, there's the dance. There I am, standing awkwardly in the back. There, here I am. I'm here. I'm here. The high school yearbook's not about me. It's about the school. Now, I'm a part of it. I'm in it. I'm there. But it's not about me. And the Bible's not about you or me or your parenting. It's about God and what he's doing. Now, it, it is for you. It involves you. It involves your parenting, your parent-child relationships. But it's not primarily about that. So we need to look at the scriptural discussion of parents and children is in light of this whole idea that when Christ is the reality, we submit to him and submit to others out of him. Okay, that's the scriptural context. The historical context is that Paul is writing about household codes. Don't you, weren't you like, man, it's been so cold this weekend, it's been tough, I hope I go to church and I get an in-depth discussion of Greco-Roman household codes. Well, you got it, okay? So that's what we're getting. But in some way, household codes, okay, are like these like ways that, like that society talked about how the family was ordered to sort of keep things like structured. It's sort of like, you know, you like, you might have a little thing on your wall that says like, love much, laugh often, live happily. You know, you never get a thing that says like, be grumpy, be passive aggressive, watch Netflix. Like it's, it's always like the best thing, but it's like sort of a little bit like that, but probably like more intense. But household codes were sort of like the way that like society was, was structured, okay? And uh, in this section, Paul's talking about the, co- the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves. Here, here's what's interesting about this text, okay? When we read this in 2023, including the section on marriage, I think our tendency is to be like, wow, this is, this is pretty staunchly conservative stuff. And maybe you read that and think, like, depending on kind of where you lean with some of the stuff, you might think that's really good. You might be sort of disturbed by that. I'll tell you, the original readers, this would be kind of more radical than conservative, I think. Um, because Paul isn't, is not undermining societal structures, but in some ways he's being subtly subversive. He doesn't blow up society at all. He actually supports what we would think of as a traditional family, but he subtly replaces some things in the traditional household codes. So if you read this in AD 60, 70 when it was written, you would have been familiar. There was a very famous household code written by Aristotle. Okay, we've all heard of Aristotle, all right? That household code, Aristotle believed that women had less rational capacity than men and needed to be ruled by their husbands. And that was sort of the agreed upon societal code. And, And generally, these household codes spoke to the patriarch only, the husband, the father, the master, because they saw that person as having more inherent dignity than other people. Um, and in these household codes, wives were subjugated to husbands, children were subjugated to parents, slaves were subjugated to masters. Wendy mentioned this last week. Those codes and even a poor interpretation of these verses have been used to do great harm to people in the church and outside of the church. That is not the point of these verses. Um, because one scholar I read this week called these codes the Jesus remix of, a heis- of the household code. Like, because of Jesus, our households are now ordered, maybe similarly to how they were when Aristotle wrote, but really different. 
um, traditional household codes speak only to the patriarch, the man. The Jesus remix is the only code that speaks explicitly to the less powerful members of society, wives, children, slaves. Traditional household codes assumed that women, children, and slaves were inherently less valuable. The Jesus remix views everyone as created in the image of God. Traditional household codes reinforce the power of a husband over his wife, a parent over children, a master over slaves. The Jesus remix calls for people with positions of power to empty themselves and seek the honoring of others around them. So there's a new code in town, the Jesus code. This code does support the, the family structure and, and structure in our lives, but it replaces the cultural belief that husbands, parents, and masters should rule. And it says we got to see everyone as dignified image bearers of God. So we have a context that's in the whole of Scripture, and it's in the context of these household codes that we're talking about. Now, this specific text, moving to the next part, talks about two different groups of people, children and parents. I should say this. Not everybody in the room is a parent. Um, some of you may be would would deeply desire to be a parent and have not been able to be a parent for for some for a variety of reasons some of you may not want to be parents or, or may not be parents um, but this passage does still apply to all of us because in some ways in the church we are called to nurture and care for people around us especially people that are younger or more vulnerable than us as parents would for their children also we're all children Everybody I'm looking at right now is a, is a, is a biological, is a child of, of somebody. Um, I realize some of you may have hard relationships with your parents, but I pray there's something in here for you in this, okay? So in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, we're going to talk first to kids. What does it say to kids? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. We're highlighting these words in the text, obey and honor. So um, first we're called to obey our parents. Paul's emphasis here is that obedience, it's not just a, a cultural thing, it's part of God's design. That God designed parent, or children to obey their parents. There's inherent ways God made the world and one of them is, would be the, the ideal that that children should obey their parents. Um, just as God gives guidelines for good parents, he gives guidelines. He, he is a God who gives us like laws throughout Scripture. We could have a longer conversation about why the law is in there, but a lot of it is for our own good. Like the law, do not murder, is, is like really good for society. That's a very good law. It's not like, man, God's so mean. What's, what's, don't murder, like this guy's so like limiting right like it's like that's good so like when pa loving parents give guidelines to their children they're doing it for the good and in some ways there's a blessing of um safety of safety within this circle of obedience now i realize this is not always the case there's parents who abuse their authority it happens all the time unfortunately it's awful but those parents haven't read read verse four okay which is in there as well um so we should obey. It's like it's, it's, it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. Like children are generally called to obey their parents. 
they're also called to honor. What does it mean to honor your parents? Okay, the word honor, which is referencing in verse 2, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Okay, that word, it means like to give weight to, like to give weight to your parents. Um, here's why. You guys, I'm telling you, it is so hard to be a parent. It's a weighty responsibility. There's a pastor, Daryl Johnson, uh, who wrote a commentary on Ephesians. He says this about being parents. It's a little bit of a long quote, but it's cool. God has entrusted to parents the weighty responsibility of taking care of God's most vulnerable creatures. Parents carry the weight of protecting and feeding and clothing us. Parents carry the weight of forming our self-image, of building the basis of our self-worth. Parents carry the weight of putting the building blocks of our worldview together, of helping us develop the basis of our significance and security. Parents carry the weight of giving us our initial understanding of God. That's a huge bear burden, and every parent enters this responsibility as a rookie. Like, guys, parenting is crazy. Like, parents, you're in charge of a life. Like kids, your parents are in charge of a human life. Adult children, your parent at one point was in charge of a human life. Like think about this. Soren, our oldest son, is 16, sitting right there, second row. He's in the process of getting his driver's license. The state of New Hampshire has a lot of things to say about getting a driver's license. Live free or die, yeah, right. A lot of things to say about getting a driver's license. Soren had to go to 30 hours of class. He, then he had to do 10 hours of driving with an instructor, 10 hours of observation with an instructor, plus 40 hours of driving with Abby and I. A lot of work to, be, to get a driver's license. I'm in support, I'm down with it, great idea. When Abby and I had Soren, they handed us a living child and we're like, here you go. <laughs> and then like after a day, the nurse is like, you can go home. And I'm like, you're going to come with us. Like, we don't know what is happening. We're in charge of a life, okay? Like we got home to our apartment and we just sat on the couch and we're holding Soren. And I remember Abby looking at me and she's like, I don't, I don't think we'll ever do a load of laundry again. I don't think we will ever have anyone over for dinner. And I'm like, she is right. <laughs> like, we will not be, we, the entirety of both of our existences is going to be keeping this one child alive, okay? It's like an amazing thing, and we, fig we didn't really figure it out, but we, we like, sort of, sort of figured it out. But, like, it's, it's weighty, right? And so parents do carry a weight, and, like, children should understand that. Not to, like, be passive-aggressive or shame them, but that it is a big deal. And so children like honor and obey your parents because it's a weighty thing that they're doing. Now I will say, here's a, qu a quick caveat, is that I don't, this honor and obeying, it doesn't extend to a situation where parents are dangerous, abusive, because that doesn't fall in line with verse four, okay? So speaking of verse four, let's move into verse four. Paul says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This text is addressed specifically to fathers, okay? The entirety of the text is really addressed to fathers and mothers. In verse 1 and 2, we read, children, obey your parents. In verse 2, it says, honor your father and mother. Um, so on a global scale, it is applicable to all parents, okay? 
However, the fact that this is addressed to fathers is sort of radical, like the Jesus remix, because during this period of time, fathers generally had no involvement in the lives of their kids. Like in the Greco-Roman world, like very little involvement. So when Paul's saying this, it would make people say, whoa, fathers, whoa, that's interesting. Because normally other people cared or, or had involvement with the children. It's also significant that, that Paul uses the word children instead of boys. Because girls were considered less valuable in this society. And it would have been, the initial readers would have been, whoa, children. Because girls, boys, equal value. It's kind of cool. Now I will say um, that, God, uh, that Paul is specifically telling fathers to get in the game. And I think that's important for us today. There's no doubt that fathers are important influences in the lives of children, good or bad. Sam referenced a book last week in his sermon. Uh, it's a book called The Silence of Adam by Dr. Larry Crabb, and it sort of describes male passivity as like an inherent sin of men. And he, he references Adam, who was passive as sin entered the world in the, in the Genesis 3 story where Eve ate the fruit and Adam was there. He was passive, wasn't involved in it. He wasn't in the game. And Paul is telling both parents, but specifically fathers, get in the game. So how do we get in the game? As specifically dads, but parents, how do we get in the game? Well, we bring up our children in the Lord. How do you bring up your children? Okay, what does that mean? On the negative side, parents don't exasperate them. Exasperate. I think it is the only place in the Bible where this word is used. Exasperate. All right. Do you want to know the definition of exasperate? It's awesome. Here it is. Exasperate is to irritate or provoke to a high degree or annoy extremely. Synonyms include agitate, embitter, enrage, rile, rankle, irk, peeve, vex, madden, needle, bug, royal, tee off, drive up the wall, get under one's skin, or work up. Dictionary.com. Legit. I didn't make that up. That's the dictionary. That's what the word exasperate means. My favorite is tee off. I really like that one. Uh, that's a, like the message translation of the Bible. Uh, but like, okay, parents, do you exasperate your kids? The answer is yes, probably. You probably do, okay? Um, but like, this is sort of saying like, yes, it's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a kid. <laughs> um, so let's try not to exasperate them. Here's just, I, I, don't, know, I don't have a whole lot to say because I'm like sort of a master exasperator, but um, I think like one thing I think we can do to not exasperate our, our children is to try to apologize quickly, like admit when we're wrong or admit when we don't know what we're doing, like, hey, I think I was wrong, I'm sorry. I think that's like a key way that can help. Um, so that's sort of like the negative side. We'd like to not exasperate our children. We'd like to encourage them, not sort of subtly tear them down or annoy them, that kind of thing. Um, in a positive way, how do we build up our kids? We build them up by training our kids in the Lord. Verse 4, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so here's the key. We train our kids in instruction of the Lord. This means as parents, we should be more concerned about our child's relationship with God than anything else. This starts with submitting our own lives to Christ first. 
Back to 521, this contextual verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As If you're a parent, your first allegiance is not to your children, it's to Jesus Christ. Years ago, I read a, I read a, a great book on parenting. It was called this. Parenting is your highest calling and eight other myths that trap us in worry and guilt. And the author, Leslie Leyland Fields, wrote a purposely provocative title. Parenting is not your highest calling, is essentially what she's saying. Your highest calling is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and as we submit our lives to Christ, that ultimately is going to help us parent our own children. Another great parenting book is the book Sticky Faith that's been referenced. Uh, we reference it around here a lot. It's a really wonderful book on parenting, but it puts it succinctly in saying that when it comes to faith and parenting, you generally get what you are, meaning parents are the key influence on the lives of their kids. To my own children, you're going to, I guess, drink a lot of coffee, listen to a lot of sports radio, and have some strange quirks. So you're welcome for that. Um, but you tend to get what you are. So like when we submit ourselves to Christ, it does, now that, again, it's not an ironclad rule. God, there's, God gives us freedom, gives kids freedom. We all, know, we all know, like, raising children is the wild, wild west, and, like, we don't quite know what's going to happen. But we pray, and, like, the reality is as we submit out of reverence for Christ, there's, there's something to that. In our church, we practice the process of submitting our own dreams for our kids to the Lord in our dedication. We, uh, every once in a while, have children dedicated. And during the dedication process, parents stand on stage and they take vows. They're really cool, actually. I'm going to put them up on the slide here. These are what the dedication vows are. There's two questions for parents. Question one, do you dedicate yourselves to be godly parents, modeling the love of God, faith in Jesus, and a life yielded to the Spirit? Dedication question number two. Do you commit your child to God's sovereign care and submitting your dreams, ambitions, and expectations for him or her? Give your child over to God and his sovereign purposes and intents. Notice that these vows specifically use the language of submission. Submitting your dreams for your child to the Lord. We submit our dreams. It doesn't mean we can't have dreams for our kids or want them to get a good education, marry a good person. Like we, we, that's, that's good and right. The Bible has things to say about that, but we ultimately submit our dreams to the Lord. There's also a great additional third question we use in our dedication vows, which is for the whole church, everybody. It says this, do you commit your child to God's sovereign care? Oh, that's the wrong question. Sorry, it's okay, I'll read it for you. It's really good. That's the question number two. So, um, but question number three is this. Okay, listen to this. Do you commit yourselves as the community of Jesus Christ to care for this child and their parents, to uphold them in love, to encourage them in grace, and to hold them to the truth of these vows? So it's like, if you do not have children in our church, the, the whole congregation takes a vow that we're gonna try to care for these children. Because... Yes, there's a household code, but part of the Jesus remix that there's also we're part of a new family, the family of God. 
which includes this church and capital C church and, and a lot of believers all around the world. But so it's this idea that like everybody has a part to play in training up children in the instruction of the Lord. So as a parent, uh, I'd encourage you to admit that you don't know what you're doing and then submit yourself to the Lord. Say, God, I want you to help me. And then submit your dreams for your child to the Lord. Early on, uh, when we were young parents, I heard uh, uh, someone say that they, their prayer for their children was, I pray that they would love Jesus more than anything else in the world. And we've, that's a prayer we've tried to pray over and over. I don't know what to do, God, with screen time or school choice or this or that, but I do know that I want them to love you more than anything else in the world. I can pray that <laughs> and pray for some wisdom. And then I'd say, like, find some other parents that, that you respect, that you look up to. Just spend time with them. Talk to them. Get to know what they do. Um, and look, at, look for resources that help. All right, I'll close with, I'll close with this. Um, as children, we're called to obey parents at all ages and stages of life. But we worship Jesus. And as parents, we're called to love and care for our children, but we submit those dreams to Jesus. This is one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, The Word became flesh. The Word is, is God, or this eternal truth principle. Became flesh. Jesus became man. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I've often thought of parenting as being a trying to achieve the perfect mixture of grace and truth. And maybe you think, I sometimes think of life as a spectrum. Grace on one side, truth on the other. And if we go all the way to grace... Oh, we got to have some truth. There has to be some principles that we use to anchor us. And we go all the way to truth. Well, we need some grace. To, we need love and compassion. And I'm, as a parent, I got to be right in the middle. I got to be the perfect mixture of grace and truth. You know what, though? I don't. Because I'm not. Um, you know who is? Jesus. He is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. So our job as parents isn't for us to be the perfect mixture of grace and truth, it's to point people to Jesus, who is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. As a church, our goal isn't to be the perfect mixture of grace and truth in our discipleship programs and our outreach. It's to point people to Jesus, who is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. He's reality, and that should inform our parenting. It should inform us being children um, and should inform the way our lives and households are structured. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you became flesh in Jesus and the reality of life is found in your son Jesus. We thank you for this book of Ephesians which talks about the reality being that um, we're part of your family, we follow you and um, has many things to say um, about our lives and about being children and being parents. I pray, Father, for those of us who are children um, with tough relationships or broken or um, lost relationships with our parents that we would... Um, we would see you as our heavenly father. I pray for those of us who are children who are younger that we would seek to obey and honor our parents. I pray for those of us who are parents that you would help us to not exasperate our children, but to build them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
And we pray most of all that we would be people, whether, we're, whether we are parents or not, that point people to you, Jesus, the perfect mixture of grace and truth. Thank you that um, you gave us the truth and you offered us so much grace. Um, so we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand once again to sing. Thank you.